You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. So this is another episode in our deal analysis series. And rather than talking about a buy and hold property or house act property I helped buy a client with, this is another episode I'm doing with Derek Marlin of Elevation. And this is part of his deal or no deal uh, segments. And today we're talking about a Congress Park condo that you guys looked at. Correct. And we'll soon learn out if it was a deal or no deal. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. Glad to have you here, Derek. Um, So set the stage up for us, because I know we talked about this, like, you know, as we're talking a few weeks ago that we're just talking about deals, both our deals, the the good ones, the ones that don't come together. Yep. And just, you know, for flipping, it's such a, a different world than what we do on the buy and hold side. Yes. And you're talking about a few deals that fell apart. Yep. And this is one of them. We're going to go the details on it. Yeah. So we're going to get in the details of things that didn't come together because I think everybody talks about their success stories and their wins. And then less get shared about the average deals. Definitely less get shared about the losses. But there's a ton that lead up to that point, And that's the majority of where we spend our time to find the good deals. So, yeah, we want to dive into something that, that might not actually potentially be the best deal. I mean, my best learning experiences throughout life have been when I fall flat on my face. Yeah. And you you learn from those. Yeah. Or at least I have learned from those. Absolutely. No, it's important. And and no one's going to bat a thousand if we're using those baseball analogies. So we just got to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and hopefully we learn from it. And hopefully the audience learns from it too. And so this was, uh, I think this was when your partnership flip deals, right? So the way that this specific instance came about, it is with a client um, that we had done a flip with uh, last year, and we're continuing to work with the client. They are sourcing on their own um, because that's what we want to try to teach and train is that, yeah, we want to be here as a good deal sourcing partner, but we also want to train people to, you know, kind of fish instead of give them the the fish, if you will. Well, also just to be very frank, if if you're bringing the deal, you're doing everything, you don't want to do a partnership flip either. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> right? that, that's definitely true. I mean, we only have so much bandwidth to handle yeah. that. So no, you're right. We definitely want to be able to expand and still provide value, but yeah, yeah. we can only do so much. Um, and I'm a huge proponent of making sure that people can over time kind of fly on their own. I do not want to be the person that, you know, has training and instruction and then they have to keep coming back to us because not only is it not scalable, but that's not a, that's a disservice to the client. Yep. So this was a good example where a client said, Hey, um, have an opportunity trying to find a a deal. This was on the MLS and he had done a really good job of going through two different rounds of negotiations on this condo in a part of town called Congress Park, which for your audience is great part of relatively central Denver, um, right by a really beautiful park. And um, he had gone through two different rounds of, of, uh, you know, negotiating and then had called us and said, you know what? can you quickly look at this? I think we're close, but I'm not 100% sure. And that's kind of where we want to be there for. And so we'll walk through um, exactly what this is and trying to define what close meant, um, trying to get back to them quickly and then walk through whether this is a deal or a no deal. So when you work with clients like this, do you have them send you their their spreadsheet analysis and say, yes. hey, kind of team me up with the, you know, obviously the address, what you think, and then plug in the spreadsheet. And then you go off of that and review it with them and reach out to the- We do. Okay. Yeah, that's the ideal scenario is that they have our deal analyzer spreadsheet. They've run it through the analyzer. They've pulled comps and sent it to us so that when we get back to them, we can say, okay, let's see what you're looking at and let's see if it hits the deal analyzer numbers that tell us either if it's a good opportunity or not. Because nine times out of 10, clients won't really do that. And it looks good on on paper with napkin math, but that 
is a waste of their time too. Yeah. So we, we ideally want them to do that. This was one where he had done that um, and then it was still a little further apart, but before kind of backing away from the deal, he had sent me a quick text and said, you know what? I think we're really close on this. Can you take a quick look? And I said, yeah, of course. So we, we jumped in after, um, you know, analyzing the deal. Okay. Yeah. So um, to kind of set the stage, this is a one bedroom, one bathroom condo. It was definitely a cosmetic type of flip. And so it was a, a great potential opportunity for a client to kind of get in and out and under that, you know, one month time frame. And um, this specific one, we'll get to the numbers here in a second. But again, they'd gone through two rounds of negotiations and both sides were trying to get close, which is a really good example of how these deals come down the pipeline is normally for the investor, it's nine times out of 10 priced a little on the higher end. You got to wait for a price reduction coupled with submitting an offer that's a little bit lower and see if it's something that works for both sides. And so from your perspective, was it just overpriced on the MLS? Was that was that the main issue? It was. And here's the interesting thing, and it was something that made us feel good that we're providing value to clients, and I think that we're on the right page, is um, we could have easily analyzed the deal and said either yay or nay, this is a good deal. But we had actually, which we'll get to in a second, um, we had, this was June 9th, and we had actually bought a condo in that exact same building four days earlier. And so we had a ton of information on this property. And so um, we just kind of clicked over to the next slide and we'll go through what the client was looking at. But we had already inspected our unit. We had found out that the um, electrical panel was a brand called Zinsco, and that's spelled Z-I-N-S-C-O. That's very similar to a Federal Pacific panel and that needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. So we said, hey, good job using the analyzer getting a rehab budget of around $20,000 based on a cost per square foot. But let's add 2,500 bucks to that estimate because we just literally bought a project in that same building. You're going to have to replace the panel. And so um, we can look at the before and the after of our analysis, but we literally just bought a property in the exact building. So we had almost like insider information. That's great. Yeah. And so as we jump in the spreadsheet, and a lot of people are listening to this, so we'll definitely talk the numbers, but also if you click on the show notes links, uh, these spreadsheet spreadsheet screenshots will be in the blog post as well if you want to spend a few minutes and study those, because we're looking at it right now on our computer monitor. Yeah. So what was, uh, I know you said you went through a few round of negotiations, like what was it listed at and where'd you guys start negotiating at like price-wise? Yeah. So this property was listed at $259,000. Again, it was a one bedroom, one bathroom unit. Uh, there's two styles in this specific part of Congress Park. There's a 713 square foot model, and then there's an 834 square foot model. And something that's- both one ones? Yes, both one ones. Um, super, super similar layout, just obviously slightly larger. Okay. But here's something that we really kind of work with um, our clients on is doesn't sound like that much of a difference of square feet. 110 square feet, you think, how much different is that? The feel of that in a condo is actually very, very different. Yep. There's two things that can happen. Either everything is just laid out easier and when you're rehabbing it, you can get a better laid out kitchen or which is becoming more important in kind of the current slash post-corona world is that extra hundred square feet can get you a great little nook for a home office. Mm. And so that's really important. If we translate that down to a percentage basis, the one versus the other is actually 15% larger. I mean, that's a good chunk. It's not one or 2%. So if we just use numbers, that's a big difference too. Mm -hmm. And so this was the 
718 square foot model. Yes. What about the condo you guys bought it uh, right before? The same square footage or bigger? We bought the bigger one. Okay. We bought the 834 square foot model. And so what the client was looking at was his numbers were a buy price of $240,000. And uh, it got listed at 259. They had dropped the price to 253. Our client offered at 240 and they countered at 245. And so again, that's the, a kind of classic back and forth trying to find that common middle ground. And this is another point that we find really, really uh, important and interesting is I think some people would say, well, well what's five grand? Um, in condo world, five grand is also a large percentage of your profit. It can be 20 to 25, maybe even 30% if the deal gets thin of your profit. So just saying, you know what? Okay, I, I offered 240, but I want to get a deal going. Let's go for 245. That really does change the numbers. Um, and so we had it as stick to your guns uh, at a $240,000 purchase price. Don't don't go up, or that's what the client had. Um, they had a rehab budget of $22,000. And then their ARV, which is the after repair value or what the client's going to sell the property for after it's fixed up, was $305,000. So that kind of sets that stage. Um, still would have been a little thin for us. Our normal, really, really simple spreads that we try to find on condos and townhomes is $75,000. Mm -hmm. So Whatever you buy it for, you better be able to sell it for seventy-five grand. And on average, if you're doing about a twenty-five to thirty thousand dollar rehab, that means you're going to pull between a twenty-five and a thirty thousand dollar net profit. And those numbers work for us all day. This, as you can see, two forty um, to three hundred five, it's still a little tight, even yep. if we felt like this was realistic, which we'll get to whether we think that's realistic or not. Um, scope of work. This one was definitely cosmetic. Kitchen, you were doing very similar layout. You're just taking out the old stuff, putting in new stuff. Um, and you're doing like brand new counters, cabinets, appliances? We are. We are. Okay. In, in condos and townhomes, um, there are a handful of times, I'd probably say 30% of the deals where the cabinets are in, in nice enough shape and the configuration is good where we will paint them um, and then do new countertops and new backsplash. These ones that we've been working on in Congress Park, Cheeseman Park, City Park, um, those cool hit parts of town, we're budgeting to put new um, countertops and kitchen cabinets in there. And then you're making them a little like trendier as well for that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, way more trendy. Um, going with the quartz that many times has the nice gray vein through it, yeah. going with a little bit nicer backsplash because you're using such a small footprint that you're literally talking a couple hundred dollars to go the nicest quality stuff versus a 3,000 square foot home. You're talking a couple thousand dollars for much more product. So this one was, was really straightforward. Similar kitchen, redoing the bathroom in a similar format, doing flooring, doing paint, doing all the fixtures and finishes, which are light fixtures, faucets, um, you know, kitchen cabinet, hardware, doorknobs, all that kind of stuff. And just kind of a classic 30-day rehab. And it was relatively straightforward as far as the actual work that was going to be done. What type of flooring do, would you put in a place like this? So these ones we always put in uh, actually click-in laminate flooring. Okay. So we do, it's called LVL, the Luxury Vinyl Laminate. And it's anywhere from about a dollar and 70 cents to a square foot to 275 per square foot depending upon the level of condo that we want to do 
So luxury vinyl laminate, is yep. that the same thing as like the luxury vinyl planks? Yes. Okay. Yep. It's the same thing as the planks. And so you're clicking those in together. Rather than the peel and stick? Exactly. Definitely okay. not peel and stick. I know a lot of the rentals we buy and we do right, right on the rental side, we do like that luxury vinyl plank and it's peel and stick. It looks great. Yeah, for rentals, absolutely. Yeah. So if it's a similar product, but this is just clicking. It's clicking, and there's some products that have, uh, it's called under laminate, so yeah. it's the padding underneath. Some of them have it pre-built in. There's some really cool ones out there that have cork underneath, and so it's a simple install. Other ones we've run into, depending upon kind of how wavy the flooring is, you need to buy that extra two or $300 worth of padding, almost like you were doing carpet, but it's a much thinner pro yeah. product. Um, and so, yeah, you're just clicking it in. And the reason we do that is because not only is it simple to install, it's super durable, and it just makes your property look so much longer and wider rather than carpet, um, almost makes it feel a little bit enclosed. And we run it everywhere, entryway, kitchen, dining room, living room, master bedroom. The only place we don't put that is in the bathroom. We do tile on the floor. You don't put the carpet bathroom. in the bathrooms? Crazy enough. No, we normally buy stuff with carpet in the bathrooms <laughs> yeah. and rip it out. So is that the luxury vinyl laminate? Mm -hmm. And it's just about the same durability as that luxury vinyl plank? Yes. Okay. It just... Yeah. And I'm actually, it's probably a little bit more durable because it's a little bit thicker millimeter. Mm, so normally okay. you're like a 10 to 12 millimeter in thickness. So you're probably going to get a little bit more wear and tear out of it. And that's because it's, it's, a, it's a bit more expensive. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. S similar concept, but just a little bit of a, a step up. It still looks... Really, really good. I mean, this is stuff that we're- Oh, I love the way this stuff looks Selling, like. you know, yeah. three and $350,000 product and it still looks really, really nice. Yeah, so- I want that stuff in my house. We have engineered hardwood floor yeah. and it's junk. Yeah. Our dogs have destroyed it. Totally. Yep, it oh. makes a big difference. It's And that product has come a long way. And the big thing is, it's super simple to install. Um, with that being said, there's always a caveat that if it's not installed properly, it sticks out like a sore thumb and you have to have contractors redo it. So you really have to get that true click. So there's very little seam in between each, in between each individual piece. Cause if there's gaps and then you run that, you know, 15 feet in oh, the yeah. living room, you're screwed. So it has to be done right. But as long as it is, it's easy to go in and a great product. And it's a floating floor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Floating floor. So there's a little bit of flexibility. Um, and then it helps so that it doesn't have that hollow sound too when you walk into the property. So it's just a good sound barrier. HOAs like it because we're putting another level of padding in to help with sound protection. So it's kind of a win-win mm. across the board. Yeah. So kind of simple. Um, in this specific example, the client sent us one comp at 305. Um, and we weren't told of other ones. So I think that's a key takeaway is um, be careful when you're looking at one individual comp. Um, in this specific example of what the client sent our way is there was, we'll go over kind of their overall metrics. It would be a just over a $20,000 net profit. Um, the ROI is a little low on this one. It would be 7%. And then the dollars per day, which is, again, the amount of net profit divided by how many days it's going to take you to, to finish and sell this property is 336. So for the elevation metrics, it's a little bit low. I've got kind of the, the, the red light, if you will, on ROI and the red light on dollars per day. Net profit is just over $20,000. So that's a yellow. Um, in the client's world, and we definitely want to be sensitive, everybody's got a little bit different investment guidelines. And so um, we caution people not to go too low because not only are you risking money, but you're spending time. So to do all this work and let's say make five, six, $7,000, I don't think that's a good use of yep. time. But something that might be green in our world of a $25,000 profit, but it's a $20,000 profit for a client. 
and they do one or two of those and they're adding to their portfolio or they're reinvesting back in the market, that's still a good deal. So for them, I'm like, okay, you know what? At first glance, this looks like it it could be, you know, a potential deal. Um, so that's what the client sent to us. So I'm looking through your spreadsheet. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. I see the, the commission on the sale. So you got 4% because you usually do it in-house. We do it so in-house. You keep it cheaper than you're still doing normal like buyer's co-op. Yep. Okay. Yep, we are. So yeah, if the client was selling this, we're happy. A lot of times we sell flips on behalf of our clients and pass along that savings. So some people would definitely sell it closer to the 5% range. Um, so that would potentially cut into the profit. And yeah. well, that's well. nice that you guys can sell it for, for less. Yeah, we can sell it for less. Wow. Yep. Yep. As a benefit, but you know, they've got some carrying costs for doing it for a month. Um, really being sensitive to the buy side costs. Your listing audience knows that we always offer to pay for closing costs up front to help the deal get done. And then we do a hold open policy on the back end, which means you're only paying for insurance um, on the title for the amount of time you held it. And it's far less expensive to use that same title company to sell it on the back end. So I see on here that uh, for the financing mm-hmm. and the rehab cost, zero points right. and 8% money. Is this a private money loan? Yep, private money loan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, private money loan. Yeah, your clients are either working 100% with cash. So you're taking, in this example, um, you know, you're potentially putting another $3,000 in profit back in your pocket. You're borrowing private money, which is kind of that six to 10% roughly and not paying points or clients are using the traditional hard money, which is paying one to two points or one to two percentage of whatever your purchase price is upfront. So two to three grand um, and then paying normally 10 to 12% interest for their carrying costs. So if I recall, if you guys, you know, the way you structure financing is the the client, hey, the points come out of their profit share, right? but the holding cost, you guys split, right? Correct. Okay. Yep, correct. Yep, exactly. And this was an example where we had done a partnership flip with the client, but they are kind of doing a great job of kind of graduating, if you will. So this was just more the client uh, was looking to do this project kind of on his own, and then we would help from a consulting fashion. Oh, okay. Um, so, and that's really what we wanted, where if a client brings us a deal, we want to partner with them, um, show them the ropes and help run the project. But ideally, we want them to kind of graduate so that the next deal they can do on their own. If they still want to work with us on a consulting basis, then there's not a revenue share. It's just a flat fee. And then again, we want people after, you know, a couple of deals or one deal, if you're confident with it, we want people to be able to to do things on their own. We don't want to have to feel like people are tethered towards working with us. So this is a cool progression of somebody who's a super bright um, gentleman and is working to add a handful of rentals to his portfolio, do a handful of flips so that he's got some flexibility in deciding whether he wants to stay in the corporate world or whether he wants to make real estate his his full-time gig. So he's right in the sweet spot of doing things really well to set himself up for a lot of success. Mm, that's good to hear. Yeah. So I'm curious to see your analysis. Okay. So here's our analysis. And again, this goes back to, we had literally bought a property four days prior to. So we had a ton of of knowledge and information on this deal. Um, again, I ran it as a purchase price of 240. Let, let's say they stuck to their guns. So that's the same that he had? That's the same thing that, that he had. Again, we talked about that electrical panel. So the rehab budget, uh, it would have been spot on. Um, and again, a lot of the stuff, clients are looking at it and putting in an offer and then double checking their math. So we added $2,500 to the rehab budget. So that went up to $24,500. But here's the kicker. The max ARV in our eyes is $275,000. Ooh, that's a big difference. It's a big difference. 
He was at 305 in the other one, right? It is. Um, and there's two reasons for that. Again, they are using the $305,000 comp was the 834 square foot unit. So you're doing a little bit of apples to oranges type of a comparison, um, and you're only using one individual comp. The second reason that we went with that is there was uh, a comp in that building of the smaller size, the 718 square foot size, and that sold for 260. Um, that mm -hmm. was relatively fixed up, and it was 14 months ago. So. Um, I still think 275 is is realistic. It's hard to normally we don't project appreciation, but we know it happens. We'd rather be a little bit on the safer side and be happy if it runs up. Um, but definitely using the same comp as the other super fixed up unit that sold um, a handful of months earlier, I just don't see that happening. Um, and then there were no other comps. There were other comps in the area, but there were actually when we pulled our comps, we pulled six total. Three of them were in the exact same building, which again, one of them was the one that we bought. And then the other two were in the building. Three were in very similar and in close proximity styles of properties. Um, the other good thing that, that we knew is, again, it's still cosmetic. You're putting in that electrical panel um, to give your audience an idea on where we were. Again, we just bought this two weeks ago. We bought the larger unit for 223. So um, mm. the client on the unit that we bought listed it for 235 and we got it under contract um, within that first weekend. We inspected it and the electrical panel needed to be replaced. So we got another price reduction. So we got it down to 223 for a larger unit. So that just made me say, you know what? This is definitely a risky proposition. Um, so when we reran the numbers, buying it at 240, selling it at 275, rehab budget of $24,500, um, everything else being the same is your, it's a negative almost 4% return. It's potentially an $11,000 loss. And so of course you're losing money every day. So for us, that was just too much of a stretch. And I just said, you, you know, I would, if I'm in your shoes, I'm hundred percent passing. And, um, and just stick to your guns and either see if you can negotiate the price down or um, or just keep looking. So this one was, again, on paper, up front, it, it looked potentially okay. But in condos, um, 100 square feet makes makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. um, single family homes, it's not nearly as much. If you're talking about a you know 2,800 square foot home versus a 2,900 square foot home, that doesn't feel much different. Um, you can be right in that same sales price point on the back end, but condos and townhomes, it makes a big difference, especially when you can pull comps that have the smaller unit. I just can't see selling from 260 to selling at 305. That's a obviously a significant jump. So this this in our world was a no deal. And and to the client's credit, they did a great job and kind of looked at the numbers again, saw it the way that that we saw it and, and agreed and and passed. And they're still kind of looking and living to fight another day. So I really want to um, thank the client and and stick into their guns because this would. Again, if you think, oh man, what's 240 versus 245? Let's just do it to get a project going. In our world, that would have been definitely a, a loss, I think. So on your condo that you bought, mm -hmm. 
Uh, is your rehab budget about the same, about right around 25000 for everything? Ours is a little bit more because ours needed a little bit more work. The other condo that they were looking at needed a little bit less work. So okay. our rehab budget is um, $29,000 Okay. for a bigger, so you're looking at a little bit bigger footprint. And then again, we're doing a little bit nicer um, kind of quality in the kitchen and the bathroom to to get that high end ARV, but yeah, our rehab budget is just over twenty nine grand. Okay, so I, it sounds like I think you already gave away the punchline that it was a no deal. This was there a was, no deal, so no success in rene- renegotiating the price low or anything Correct. like that. Yep, and and again, I really applaud them. No, they 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 didn't couldn't get it down to where they wanted. At this point, if you relooked at it, you'd needed to get it again back down that you know two twenty to two thirty um, best case scenario. I just looked before we went to record this podcast. It is under contract. So someone bought it um, or someone is going to buy it. But again, you don't know whether it's somebody who's going to flip it. Maybe somebody wants to buy it and keep it as a rental. Maybe somebody does their own work and and making 10 grand is, is good for them. And that's fine too. But again, for kind of our business model and and trying to be safe and and move your money quickly, it it, it was a no deal. What would uh, that come to rent for? I'm just if you even know off the top, I'm curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I haven't been in the rental game as much, yeah. but it's a really, really cool building. Um, and it's a really good part of town in Congress Park. So, I mean, I would think probably at least 11, 1200 bucks a month, um, maybe a little more. It is a one bedroom. So I, I do think there's a ceiling on that, no matter how nice yeah. you make that. So I think you're probably maxing out at that. Um, you so know, it would still be a pretty cruddy rental then? I think it would be rough for a rental. Um, even if you put in, let's say you shaved 10 grand off your rehab budget, you're still not saving that much money. Um, and yeah. I don't know if you can truly cash flow that. Um, I think it still gets really tight as a rental. Yeah, I mean, we've never bought any rentals in Congress Park. I, mm-hmm. We looked at every now and then. I was just kind of curious. I haven't see, looked at any condos there for a long, long time. And, yeah. Because that very reason there. Great so. part of town, yeah. And people pay top dollar to live there, but not top dollar to rent there. And that's the case. I think it, it the numbers maybe start to make sense if you can get a two bedroom in there, um, because then you don't quite hit that ceiling. Yeah. But but yeah, one bedroom, and then you start to look at somebody saying, "Well, dang, I I can't afford to buy something." Um, and so I think we might start to lose out there from a rental perspective. So this one's a little tight, I think, for a rental. Great. Any uh, anything else about this deal before we wrap it up? No, I think that just the the formal way to look at this is just kind of stick to your guns. Um, you know, we look at what did we learn from it? What was our due diligence and kind of how do you tee yourself up for success? And again, that's just sticking to your guns and making sure that you can run the numbers. Again, nobody is, uh, especially when you're working in the condo and townhome world, it's a little harder to comp those than single family properties. And we're not all projecting the same sales price point. So, um, but when, when you're that close, I'd rather say, this looks great and it's a $30,000 profit and maybe we are okay with 25, but when it's really thin to start and then we dive in and it's a loss, you, you got to pass on that one. Um, and then it's all about, we said this in the last episode, but being really diligent on your comps. You know, I mean, that that honestly is the most important thing mm-hmm. of setting how much can you realistically sell it for because your budget can be spot on, your system can be dialed in, but if you don't acquire it right, you're screwed. So that's really the big takeaway is you got to, look at more comps. You got to dive deeper. Um, don't don't pick not only the one outlier, but just don't pick a single comp. Yeah. Um, well, this has been great, Derek. So a couple things I want to mention before yeah. we wrap up here. I know this is the second one we've recorded on like yep. the, the deal or no deal podcast. I know we got two more slated. We're mm-hmm. doing two more of those. Uh, listeners out there, I would love to hear your feedback. Like I enjoy learning this stuff. 
And I think a lot of you guys realize we're starting to do a lot more deal analyses on the podcast and build out the library on the website. So feedback, ideas is always appreciated. If you got other data that you want to see in uh, these deal analyses, let us know. We're happy to kind of go into more details or if we're missing, leaving out things. Uh, the second thing, Derek, um, you got your first academy coming yeah. up. Yep. I know that got originally postponed because Correct. of COVID, like yep. the whole world did. Right. Um, but uh, give that a quick plug. When, when's that and what is it? Yeah, so we're going to do our Elevation Training Academy, which is a, a cool, very intensive two-day system, um, uh, two-day weekend, where we're actually going to do it on the 23rd and 24th of July. And the first full day is teaching in the classroom. Because of COVID, like you mentioned, we're really shrinking our numbers down. So we've got this really neat space um, in a co-work space in Englewood. So we're going to be right around 12 attendees, so everybody can be nicely spaced out. Um, and then the second day will be half in the classroom and then the other half in the field learning at one of our projects. So we can teach people every step of our system and then go show them in the field so they really see reality. And then the follow-up after that is clients get, um, is a good example of our deal or no deal. We updated our fixtures and finishes or we updated our analyzer spreadsheet. We send that back out to anybody that's worked with us in the past. Um, so people will get access to that and then deal sourcing too. So we're always looking for stuff. And like we talked about before, we hit four or five projects and kind of max out with our current staffing levels. And so we're happy to work with clients and help source on their behalf too. Cool. And just go to Elevation's website, right? Yep. So just elevationinvest.com is our website. Wow. And you can find info about not only the company, but also the academy or our one-on-one -on -one consulting program. And if, uh, I know we talked about this off before hit record, um, people use D-I-R-E for the coupon code. Yes. You'll give the listeners uh, some extra consulting for me and your team once they get into a project, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for your listeners, it's the D-I-R-E code, and then they'll get some extra one-on-one -on -one consulting for any deal that they're looking to get. So we kind of thought that would be the most valuable, and it'd be with myself and my team. So they'll get overall systems guidance. They'll get project management guidance from my project manager who's got tons of GC experience and then they'll get kind of sales and acquisitions experience from my business development manager so we'll hit them in three different areas that should really help grow their business great so if you guys are interested reach out to Derek I mean I'm always a big proponent of if it's good education it's worth the money uh, but also hey reach out to make sure it's the right education for you yeah um, but I think if anyone's, if anyone's interested in flipping in Denver you'd be the first stop I would go to for education thank you so Derek, thank you for doing this. Look forward to doing more of these. Yeah, thanks, Chris.